there are times in our lives when the waters of life seem to rise around us and you find yourselves just crying out to God and asking God for help. And for the writers of the book of Psalms, there were times when they praised God and there were times when they cried out to God saying, God, why have you left me in this place to die? To me, this is what the book of Psalms is all about. The book of Psalms is about people praising God and people crying out to Him, people sharing their deep thoughts with Him, and people, people crying out to God from the wellsprings of their hearts. Sometimes they're praising God. Sometimes they're complaining to God. Sometimes they're questioning God. Sometimes they're thanking God. So the book of Psalms is a wonderful book. It's a book that has lasted for more than 3,000 years and touched the lives and impacted the lives of many Jewish and Christian people over that period of 3,000 years. And you know, for any literature to last that long, it's got to be really good. And it's got to speak into every generation, and it's got to speak into every culture. And I think that, there, that every culture can relate to something about the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms seems to dig right into the heart and passion of the human life. Psalms is a collection of writings and poetry from King David and a few other authors. And, you know, they all lived in a time and a day in which we can't relate to today. We can't relate to the lifestyle in which David lived. Yet all of humanity can understand the ups and downs, the joys and sorrows, and the prayers and praises of the book of Psalms, can't we? Now, there's no central theme. There's no central theological uh, statement that's trying to be taught in the book of Psalms. There's no doctrine that's being taught in the book of Psalms. Each psalm is really just a conversation with God. Philip Yancey put it this way. He said, in a deep, personal way, the psalms help us reconcile what we believe about life with what we actually encounter with life. You see, the psalms do not always provide us direct answers to life's tough questions. That's not really what the book of Psalms is all about. They're more like someone's personal journal where they've opened up their innermost feelings and heart to God. And so David, when he writes these Psalms, he opens himself up. You can read into this the heart of David. And he talks to God about life, about relationships with others, about living here on earth, and about a relationship with to God, His Creator. And so rather than teaching us doctrine, they paint for us a picture. A lady by the na name of Kathleen Norris says this. She said, The Psalms are poetry, and poetry's function is not to explain, but to offer images and stories that resonate with our lives. And so as you read the book of Psalms, there's something deep within each one of us that I believe re resonates with the words of the Psalms. Today I want us to look at Psalm chapter 30, Psalm 30. We've just taken the opportunity to select a few psalms out of the book to, to uh, share with you over this, this sermon series in, in the wintertime, and Psalm 30 is where we begin today. Psalm 30 is really a psalm of thanksgiving and of celebration. And so, in this psalm, David, king of Israel, he paints for us a picture of a life spent with God. And then he celebrates God's goodness to us. And so just as we begin the Psalms, I want to talk to you a bit about the book of Psalms. 
They, they each have a title before the psalm. Now these titles are unlike titles that you might find in the rest of the Bible because these, uh, these titles were given by the authors. Most scholars think that the titles in the psalms were given by the authors of the psalm or else by ancient transcribers a long time ago. Now, unlike the titles in the rest of the Bible, where the Bible has chapters and section titles, and really, uh, many of you may not be aware of this, but throughout the rest of the Bible, where those section and title, uh, chapter titles are, those are not actually Scripture. They're really a 20th century invention that, that the interpreters put on the Bible to try and summarize the sections of Scripture. Problem is, some of the sections of Scriptures, um, they don't always get right with their summarization of the title. And so you can take or leave the rest of the titles within the Bible, really. Most of them are just put there by the translators. But in the book of Psalm, these titles have reference and meaning, and they are somewhat of a summarization of the author's thoughts and feelings and emotions, or what, this, what each psalm was about. And so here in Psalm David, or Psalm 30, David says this about the psalm. He says, it's a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. Now, that was kind of strange to me when I read it because the temple of David was actually built by his son Solomon. David never got to see the temple in its, in its full being. And so you have to understand that the word temple there can mean house or palace. So some think it's a prayer of dedication and thanks to God for, for David's house, for the palace in which David lived. But during Hanukkah, which is a Jewish festival, the Jewish people recite Psalm 30. And they recite it as a prayer of thanks to God because of the Jewish Maccabean revolts against the Greeks in about 168 B.C. And so the book of the Psalm 30 is a very important book to the Jewish people because they recite it each year during Hanukkah as a thanksgiving to God. And isn't it a beautiful thing to think of a culture that recites Scripture when they give thanks to God? And so they recite Psalm 30 and it's very important to them. To us, it doesn't really matter, does it? You probably didn't even care to know that information. It doesn't matter if the psalm was written to give thanks to the house of David or to give thanks to God for the temple, it, uh, for the temple of David, because either way, what we read into it now in the 21st century is that it is a celebration of God's goodness to us. And I think we can glean some things from this, from this, this uh, chapter in the book of Psalms. So David wrote this Psalm 30, and he separates it into three different sections here, really. First, it begins with a praise and thanksgiving to God for who God is. He just simply bursts out into praise to God. And then secondly, it's really a confession to God for where David had not stood firm in his faith, where David had let God down in their relationship. And then lastly, then, David writes about a celebration of the fact that God is still good to us, even though we continue to fail him. And so that's really a summarization of this psalm. Now, let's begin there with a praise and thanksgiving. Verses 1 through 5. David writes and he says, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths, and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave, and you spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of His. Praise His holy name. For His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes 
in the morning. And so David begins with this beautiful thought that God lifted him up out of the depths. This psalm seems to indicate that David was struggling deep within himself. He either had a serious illness or he was caught up in a serious situation and that God had saved him. God had lifted him up out of that situation. Now verse 3, he says here, O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Well, that term brought me up from the grave, that's a Hebrew word, Sheol. We might know it better as Hades in English. And so that's the word that David uses there, that God brought him up from, the, from Hades. Now the NIV uses the word grave. The TNIV really captures the essence of this word, where David's saying that God brought him up out of the realm of death. Out of the realm of death. That David... That, that God saved David from a near-death experience. That, that death was knocking on the door of David and God lifted him up. God saved him. Now, I can relate to this because I had a near-death experience in my life when I was a teenager. I was about 15 years old and I, I, I got uh, spinal meningitis. And spinal meningitis is a very serious illness. And I can just see my wife sitting here laughing at me right now because... Um, not because I had a serious illness, but, you know, in our families, you know, as you grow older and you have your parents, and families always kind of have stories of their children, you know, and there's usually one major story that kind of gets told over and over to, to people, to girlfriends, to wives, you know, and stuff like that. So Mickey's heard this story a lot because this is my story, you know. This is the story that mom shares with everyone when she talks about me. So that's why my wife is laughing at me. But anyhow, I did have spinal meningitis, and it was a very serious illness, and I was sick for, for six weeks. I was seriously sick, and I was throwing up and fever, and I had this unbelievable headache, and, and uh, I'll never forget the pain of that headache even now, and it's a long time since I've been 15, and the pain was there, and the experience that I went through with that spinal meningitis has touched me from that point on, and it was very serious. In fact, the first week that I got it, I was very seriously ill, and I had this headache, but I continued in school because we weren't sure what it was, and the doctors had trouble diagnosing it. And so I continued in school. I had final exams at the end of the term. I had these exams that I had to take, and I ended up failing one of the exams. And so when I got better and went back to school, Mom argued and argued and, to the point that they let me take the exam again. Well, she wasn't real impressed when I failed it again, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> But you know, I was seriously ill, and I was to the point of death, and I never forget, it, it had been a long time, because it was weeks, and the doctors just struggled to identify what it was, and I was laying in the bed, and I basically laid in bed for six weeks, I, it was just so bad, and I remember that last day when I was looking at my dad, he was kneeling there beside my bed, and I was laying there, and I reached out to him, and I can just vividly remember this in my eyes right now, I reached out and touched him, and I said, Dad... I'm ready to die. Dad, I want to die. You know, my dad grabbed me, took me in the car, and took me to the emergency room again. This time the doctor came out with the biggest syringe I'd ever seen. <laughs> he stuck that needle into my back and pulled out, he pulled out a ton of fluid and relieved the pain from my head. I'll never forget the relief I felt immediately. But you know, that was an experience for me where I can relate to what David is saying here, that, that God lifted him up from the hands of death. Death was knocking on the door. Now I know that many of you can relate 
to this idea that God lifted you up, that death was at the door ready to take you. Many of you have gone through some serious illnesses. Some of you are struggling with cancer, maybe. Some of you have been in incredibly bad accidents where you've been to that point of death. And so we know what David is speaking about here when he says, God lifted me up from the grave. As I read that this week, a story came to mind, and I want to share it with you. It's a story of three mates who were driving in a car one day, and they were driving along, and, and they got hit by a big truck, and all three of them got killed. And they were on their way to heaven, and when they got to heaven, they found out, they found out that uh, there's actually an orientation you have to go through when you get to heaven. I know many of you didn't know that, but there's this orientation that you have to go through. And uh, when they got there, one of the questions on the orientation list is, what do you want the people, your friends and family, to say about you? What do you want to hear about, about yourself at your funeral? When you're laying there in the casket, what do you want them to say? Well, the first guy said, you know, I really want my family to say that I was a wonderful doctor and, and that generations will be saved because of the medical advances that I made and that I was a great husband to my wife. And the second guy said, well, I, I want people to say that I was a great teacher and that I impacted generations of students, uh, generations of students and that uh, I love my family. And the third guy, he pondered that and he was thinking about it and he said, you know, when people are standing there looking down at me in the casket, I want, I want to hear the words, look, he's moving. <laughs> now, that had very little to do with the sermon, but it, it came to me this week, so I thought it was from God. But you know, most of us, most of us want God to lift us up when we're at that point of death. And uh, that's what David wanted. And then God obviously chose to lift him up from some kind of serious illness or something. The door of death was right there for David. But there are other times when God lifts us up as well. There are numerous times in, in the book of Psalms where David relates to the idea of God lifting him up, of God saving him from death. In Psalm 56, verse 13, there's a point in which David was captured by the Philistines and God saved his life. God lifted him up. David uses this phrase a lot, for God lifting him up, for God saving him in his life. There are other times when God seemed to do this for David, when David was in mental, mental uh, anguish and despair, and God lifted him up. Other times, David talks about uh, being where God lifted him up and restored him when he had sinned. When David repented of his sin, God lifted him up. God restored him. You see, there are many times in life when you will need to cry out to God and you will ask and beg God to lift you up. Maybe some of you are experiencing one kind or another, one of those things. I know that some of you are experiencing some serious illnesses right now. And you're crying out to God, asking Him to lift you up. I know that some of you are, are struggling with mental anguish and depression and anxiety. And you're crying out to God to, to lift you up, to pull you up out of that. Maybe for some of you, you know you're caught in the midst of a sin right now. That you're living the way that you should not be living. 
You need to cry out to God and repent and turn back to Him. And He will lift you up. He will renew your soul. He will draw you close to Him. Give you a new lease on life. Give you new energy through the Holy Spirit. If you call out to Him. Wherever you find yourself right now, God is right there with you. And He's waiting for you to call out to Him. Like the old saying says, if you feel like God is far away, guess who moved? Because you see, He's always right there. He's always waiting for you to come to Him. He's waiting for you to reach out a hand and grab hold of it. This is what the Psalms are all about. The Psalms reveal to us a personal God. They reveal to us how personal God really is, that we can have a relationship with the God, the creator of the universe. They reveal that God is here with us and He's involved in our lives. That we can share life openly with Him. That we can share our innermost feelings with Him because there's nothing that is hidden from God's sight. That we can call out to God and He will answer us. That He will move in our lives. That He will be living and active in and among and around us as we live this life. The great thing about God the God of the Bible is that He has revealed to us a path to Him. He's given us open access to have a relationship with Him. And you think about that. God, the creator of this world, the creator of the universe, has a personal relationship with each one of us today through Jesus Christ. Jesus has opened up the way for us to get to God. That's how the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4 verse 16 talks about how we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The Apostle Paul goes on to talk about this relationship that we now have to God through Jesus Christ. And he says in Romans 8, he says, For I am convinced that neither life nor death Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, in Jesus Christ we have nothing to fear, because either way we'll be okay. If we die, we will be okay. But to live is to live for Him and have a relationship with God. If God chooses to lift us up from the grip of death, great. That's awesome. All the more reason to live for Him day to day. But if God chooses to let us pass through the grip of death, great. Because then we get to receive that inheritance that we've been waiting for. So either way, we're okay with the relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see where David now takes his thoughts there in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, he says, When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. This is really a confession from David. He's confessing to God. When I felt secure, I thought I'd never be shaken. I like how the New International or the New English translation of the Bible put it. It said in that verse 6, 
In my self-confidence, I said, I will never be upended. In my self-confidence, I said, I got it all together. I'll never fall now. Isn't that the way it is with us? With us human beings? When we got it all together, we don't have a need for God. When we think that life's going well and there's, there's no struggles, then why do I need God? We're self-confident. We think that it's all up to us. We think at some point that we've lifted ourselves up. People are very willing to call out to God when death comes knocking on their door. But when life is going well, people don't call out to God. Why is it that when God lifts us up, it doesn't take us long before we boast in ourselves? I liked how the paraphrased version of the Bible put it, called the message. It said, when things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made. I'm God's favorite. He made me king of the mountain. Then you looked the other way. And I fell to pieces. Isn't that so true in our lives? How many of us have done that? Be easier to ask how many of us have not done that? Trode to ourselves, we've got it made. I don't need a thing. Look at me. I'm great. I've got money in this Western culture in which we live. I've got it made. Isn't that the way for us? Things are going well, we don't look to God. You know, when pride enters in, trouble's not far away. There's a story of Arnold Palmer, the legendary golfer. I do know a little bit about golf. And uh, Arnold Palmer, he tells a story about being overconfident in the 1961 Masters Tournament. He says this, he said, I had a one-stroke lead and had just hit a very satisfying tee shot. I felt I was in pretty good shape. And he goes on to say that as he walked down the fairway after that nice tee shot, he walked down the fairway and he saw a mate over on the, in the crowd. And his mate waved to him, come over here, come over here. So Arnold Palmer says he walked over to his mate and his mate stuck out his hand. And Arnold took his hand and he said, congratulations. Arnold said, at that point I knew I'd become overconfident. He said, as soon as I did, I knew I'd lost my focus. On my next two shots, I hit the ball into the sand trap and then put it over the edge of the green. I missed a putt and I lost the Masters. Overconfident. He'd allowed his self-confidence to overtake him. Let's look at Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. David has a little bit to say about this overconfidence, this pride and arrogance that comes into us occasionally. Psalm 10, verses 1 through 6. He says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He is haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. 
You see, when pride enters into your life, that's when trouble begins. Look what he said there in verse 4. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him. All, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There is no room for God. You see, when you think you've got it all together, when life is going well and you boast in yourself, look at me, look how well everything's going, then there is no room for you to call out to God. There's no room in there for God. And so if you look back at Psalm 30, verse 7, David said, O Lord, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. You see that phrase, when you hid your face? You know, that has a lot more to do with us than it does God. And it has a lot more to do with where we're at than where God is at. You hid your face. That's what David is saying there, that there's no more room for God when you have pride in your life. When you think everything's going well and you don't call out to him. It's not so much that God turned his face away from David as much as David turned away from God. If we say we've got it made, then there's no more room for God. A 19th century preacher named Henry Law said, Seasons of prosperity are full of peril. Life is more dangerous when it's going well. Have you ever pondered that? Have you ever thought about that? It seems kind of strange for me to say it, doesn't it? Life is more dangerous when life is going well. But we all kind of know that inside, I think. Because when life is going well, we don't find ourselves seeking God as much as we do in those times when it's hard. In those times when we're crying out to God to lift us up. Spurgeon had this comment about this verse. He said, Ah, oh, David, you said more than was wise to say. Instead of conceiving that we shall never be moved, we ought to remember that we shall very soon be removed altogether. You see, we have to be careful to keep things in perspective. To keep this life in perspective. This life is temporary and I don't care how much pride you have in your life. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care if you're the head of a big business or just a lowly worker. I don't care who you are. This life is temporary. And you need to keep that in perspective in your relationship to God, in your relationship to others. Because very soon we will be removed altogether. Well, listen to how David concludes this psalm. It's really a celebration of the fact that God is gracious to us, even though at times we're full of pride and we sin against Him. Begin with verse 8. He says, To you, O Lord, I called, to the Lord I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. David is saying, look, I fail you all the time, God. 
but I give you thanks and praise because you take me back every time. You see that celebration? You see how David brings it together there? I will extol you and exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me up out of the depths. You brought me up from the grave. For your anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Isn't that a beautiful celebration? Isn't that a beautiful way to conclude a passage about a life built around God? That we can celebrate God's goodness no matter what happens in life because He's good to us even when we fail Him. When we come to back, back to Him, He will be good to us. He will be good to us. Let's pray.